Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Before we get started, if you haven't yet, take a moment to subscribe to this pod. You won't regret it. On today's episode, we are talking with Sophie Frieden, Orthodox feminist activist, co-founder of Jewish on Campus, and one of my absolute best friends in the world. Sophie runs this amazing TikTok account called From Feminist, which represents two super different communities, religious orthodoxy and feminism. Sophie's experience is really unique because she didn't grow up in the religious community. Once she got older, she decided to change paths and she became a part of a growing community of Orthodox Jewish women with this commitment to being activists both for the Jewish people and for women. She stands as an empowered woman because of her Judaism. And she stands really boldly as, well, a from feminist. She does this really proudly. I am so excited to have this conversation with Sophie today. She's somebody I've had the honor of getting to know through Jewish on Campus, an organization we started together. But more importantly, getting to know as a friend. Now I have this really incredible opportunity to get to know Sophie on an even deeper level with you all today. I want to know what brought her to make this decision toward embracing religion. Why did she decide to have this public platform of religious feminism? What sort of backlash has she faced for it? I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Sophia Frieden is a student and a Jewish activist based in Brooklyn, New York. She is passionate about Torah, empowering other women, roller skating, fashion, uplifting the Jewish community, art, and frogs. She's a co-founder of the nonprofit organization Jewish on Campus and a from feminist activist. Through her TikTok account, she aims to educate the world on life as an Orthodox woman and break down stereotypes about the Hasidic life. She is currently studying to become an elementary school teacher and hopes to enrich the minds of the next generation of nice Jewish girls one day. Sophie, hello. How are you? <laughs> hello, my love. How are you? I'm so good. <laughs> I am doing great. I'm so excited that we're having you on the podcast today because you're one of the women who, like, I've known you for almost a year now. Um, we're recording this tomorrow. It'll be a year that I've known you. Um, and through that time, I feel like I've gone on a super enriching journey in my Jewish identity and my feminist identity. And you've been a huge part of that. So talking with you today is just kind of coming full circle. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Of course. I want to get right into it. So can you tell us a bit about your background as a Jewish woman? What was your life like as a Jewish woman growing up? um, And how has that identity shifted to now? I grew up um, what me and my sister would refer to as like, like high holidays Jews. Um, Like we kind of celebrated holidays, but that was about it. Like very like reform American life. Um, And then when I was in high school, I actually like by myself was like, you know what? Like, I really am like incredibly connected to this world and this culture and everything. And so I started keeping kosher in high school, um, kind of on my own. And that, and like my dad's college roommate, um, was a member of a shul that I would like go to with him. Like I would just tag along cause his daughter didn't really want to come. Um, <laughs> And I started getting, like, very involved in kind of, like, religious life, probably following my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But growing up, I was just a very, I had, like, the very kind of reform American life that most kids, I mean, experience. That's really interesting because you kind of 
took, I think, a really unconventional path. Your family started in one direction. You really found this connection on your own. What inspired that? Um, and at what point would you consider yourself to become a Baal Tshuva or somebody who becomes religious leader in life? That's a great question. I think like a lot of times the world defines your identity for you. Like I remember one time I was like having a conversation with um, a rabbi in Chicago that I'm just very close with. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, like you and your Baal life. And I was like, I had never considered myself a Baal until you just said that. Um, but <laughs> I think the point in which I decided like religious life was going to be for me, I had kind of always imagined living in a more religious life. Like I remember telling my mom when I was like, maybe 15 that I wanted Mm -hmm. to be modern Orthodox when I grew up. Um, and she was like, that's so, she was just kind of confused. Um, and then when I got to college, I kind of realized that like religious life is accessible to you when you're independent. Um, and I was like over overjoyed with that kind of prospect that like I could just walk to Shabbos dinner and start keeping Shabbat and like who's gonna or like I could just start keeping kosher because that's what like I could do um and it was kind of this like beautiful prospect to me of like walking into a life that was independent and just like creating a life for myself and like I could finally live religiously um so it started in college so you made this decision to become Baal Chuba when you're 15 years old, which I think is really, really unique. And I think that it, it grew a lot in college, which is also very, very inspiring. Um, how has that really affected a lot of your relationships that you had from before you were more religious? It's very interesting to like watch your friends, kind of how they react to becoming kind of an Orthodox Jew, because a lot of my friends that I had before I was religious had never met orthodox jews before um Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are just like genuinely fascinated and like a lot of them really mean very well and like will reach out to me and be like i want to know more about this um or like well i got a dm from like someone i knew in high school who was like i just like genuinely don't understand x concept like can you explain it to me um which is so incredibly beautiful but also like it comes with the double-edged sword of like you lose relationships with people who don't understand what's going on or like who have preconceived notions of Orthodox Jews, which is fine because those are not like the type of person I want in my life anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting kind of when you make like drastic life choices, it's very interesting to see how it plays out among the rest of the world. Absolutely. And I think that even in our own friendship, I feel like you've opened my eyes so much to what it is like to be an Orthodox woman, because that's not a background that I personally come from. Um, and something that I've found particularly inspiring is your story around your decision to become Shomer Nagia, because that's something that you've spoken about a lot. And I think it's it's really vulnerable. It's really hard to hear and hard to, you know, especially when you're friends with you to hear the story, but it is so inspiring in spite of all that. So could you speak to that if you're comfortable, of course? Yeah. So I am like very open about, I had a very intense experience. Um, my sophomore year of college from a person that I knew really well, I was sexually assaulted. Um, and it was just yeah. very like jarring to me, both like spiritually and 
like emotionally um, because it like people that you trust at violating your consent is obviously like going to be a traumatic event. Um, and so mm-hmm. I had never, I had always distanced myself from kind of like, which is a fault on my part, a hundred percent from like things like Shomernagia, um, like wearing tights all the time, like not mm-hmm. brushing your teeth on Shabbat. These are all things that I was like, Oh, I don't know if I will ever be that religious. <laughs> and I think like I had grouped my religious movement and I was like, oh, right now it's just like, I'm in the skirt phase, but I'll never get to that phase. Um, yeah. Um, Shobernikia is a Jewish concept, mostly practiced by Orthodox, more more, more Orthodox people um, that refers to no touch before marriage. Um, and there are varying levels of like Shobernikia observance, but usually it refers to the abstinence of touch. You'll often see like um like young engaged couples who are like standing right next to each other but not holding hands. <laughs> that is like or like going to shake someone's hand and you have to do the awkward like, oh, I'm Shomer. <laughs> yeah. So I started practicing Shomernikia in Israel actually after I had listened to this year by this teacher named Rivka Pesha, who teaches at Neve Yerushalayim, who is an incredible, incredible soul. Um and she was teaching us about kind of what level of vulnerability and intimacy is comes with touch. Um, and it can be different for lots of different people. And when mm-hmm. I was sitting here at this time in my life where touch had just been violated and like all of these barriers had been broken down, I was listening to this woman and I was like, why have I isolated myself from this concept? Like, why have I mm-hmm. decided that that was too far for me. I think it's so beautiful. Um, And she essentially told us, like, you have the language in orthodoxy to demand consent. And for you to decide, Mm -hmm. this is when I'm comfortable with having physical intimacy. It's only after we have emotional intimacy. And I want those two kind of bodies of emotional vulnerability and physical vulnerability to both align with one another before I consent to any sort of physical intimacy. Um, And I was just like, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, And I just fell in love with (laughs) kind of that concept. That's such an incredible story. And I mean, that way of viewing religion um, is super modern. It takes this concept that's existed for thousands of years and it puts it into a modern way of thinking, consent. Um, And I think that really ties into a lot of the work that you do. So you are a really vocal activist about a lot of things, but the main thing is being an orthodox woman and a feminist. And you have this really incredible TikTok account called From Feminist that I've had people from school tell me, oh my gosh, you know Sophie Fried and I love her from TikTok. It's really always That's awesome so to hear that because <laughs> um, you're really doing a great job of educating people on kind of deconstructing these false ideas of what it means to be an Orthodox woman. So what brought you into that space where you want to, to speak about this more publicly? That's a great, I actually, one of my very close friends, her name is Ila Oz. Um, she also has an awesome TikTok account. <laughs> I love her. Me and Hila have actually been the target of a lot of people who would be like, 
we got a lot of comments kind of early on when we started being publicly religious that were a lot like, um, oh, I watched Unorthodox. Like, I really don't know why they treat their women that way. And a mm-hmm. lot, the two of us sat there and we were like, do, what do you, we're fine. <laughs> like, we actively <laughs> chose our life to be lived this way. We're so happy. We're so in love with kind of religious Judaism. Um, and we started to publicly be like, you know what? Like, I think this comes from the only representations really of Orthodox women being things like unorthodox, being people who are unhappy and want to leave. And of course their stories need to be told and that's a hundred percent valid, but like, where's me and Hila's story? Where's the Mm -hmm. stories of like from women who are so joyful and in love with these mitzvot that a lot of people have preconceived notions about that are like oppressive. Like, um, the mitzvah of Sneas. So the mitzvah of Sneas tends to refer to modesty, and it is mm-hmm. often only seen as a women's mitzvah by outsiders, when in reality, I mean, like, it is a mitzvah of all people. It's new. Modesty can affect all people. When we talk about Har Sinai, the reason that Hashem chose to give us the Torah on Mount Sinai is because it was the most humble of mountains. And the reason Moshe Rabbeinu is... It was the one to receive it is because he was the most humble in like on Israel. So like Tzniyot is incredibly like it is an incredibly universal concept. Um, mm-hmm. But oftentimes people see it as women having to cover their collarbones, women who have to wear dresses that go down to their elbows, covering our knees, um, like only skirts that go down to our knees. And this is by far one of my favorite mitzvot on the planet. I know that's an unpopular opinion, <laughs> um, <laughs> but when, like, if you only see Sneot as defined as, like, this incredibly narrow concept of, like, women covering X amount of skin, like, you're missing the mitzvah entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, I think it's so beautiful. You can just tell how much you really love what you're doing, which I think is a huge part of this idea of consent. You You are taking on this life willingly, and that's so beautiful to see. And I'm really curious what that's been like for you, having these identities really vocally saying that you're a feminist and an Orthodox woman. Are feminist women often excluded from religious spaces? Are religious women often excluded from feminist spaces? How does that kind of duality and tension play out in your life? Yeah, I mean, like when we talk about the the Venn diagram of like feminist Mm -hmm. issues and religious issues, they intersect quite a bit. The intersection of issues which deal with kind of women's liberation, it includes all women. Um, And of course, I have had my share of experiences with kind of like feminist spaces in which there are a lot of ideas of orthodox women that just simply are like false or that they're complicit in their own oppression. A lot of that comes up a lot of the time of like, oh, Mm -hmm. you are okay with your own oppression. Um, Or like issues within the Orthodox community in which you have like individuals such as like, there's this weird movement recently to like not wear lace front wigs and like shadows because they look like real hair and like it's not modest enough. And it's it's a movement all by like these rabbis for some reason, these male Mm -hmm. rabbis. And like, 
obviously that is a feminist issue that is like surfacing itself. And that is the root of an underlying kind of issue. But there's this issue of men in religious spaces who want to demand X of women. Um, And there's Mm -hmm. also women in feminist spaces who want to demand X of religious people. And Mm -hmm. like, you can have that intersection. You can have conversations on women who find so much joy and beauty and liberation in mitzvot that are often seen as oppressive. And you can see those are liberated women just as much as a woman walking around in a bikini is a liberated woman. And I think that's a really important point that how you choose to feel strongest in your identity as a woman is your personal decision. Um, and you chose a, a path that is oftentimes stigmatizing or really working to break that stigma. But something that we have spoken about a lot um, is the way that that has a tremendous amount of backlash. Because you occupy a lot of spaces. You're a religious woman. You're a woman. You're a Jew. You're kind of all of these identities that people love to hate. Um, how has that kind of manifested in this intersection of anti-Semitism and sexism in your experience? It's very interesting to me to watch how, like, the people who are targeted by far, like, disproportionately is Jewish women. Because you see these two kind of things that need to be taken down. Um, And you see religious women especially are seen as almost, like, meek or, like, weak. Um, and easy targets. And so me and Julia have realized, like, it's all, you're not going to get doxxed unless you're a Jewish woman. Like, <laughs> or not that, like, that would sound. So that tell us what doxing means, just in case anyone yes. is unfamiliar with the concept. But it's a, it's a not fun concept. <laughs> it's not the best. <laughs> so doxing is when your personal information is released on the internet without your, any knowledge or consent. Um, mm-hmm. And me and Julia have realized quite a bit that disproportionately the people that are doxxed are Jewish women who are like vocal activists. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we're seen as easy targets, um, especially young women who are like visibly religious are seen as the like three things that are easy to target, like female, obviously orthodox. Um, Jewish women. It's so easy to pick on the person that kind of faces the most challenge. And in reality, like, that is the intersection of anti-Semitism and sexism. You're also kind of violating this preconceived notion of what an Orthodox woman is. Like, I think people are super comfortable with the idea of, like, Orthodox women are oppressed. Like, they are treated poorly they're weak they're this they're that but you're not you're not that you're super strong you're super vocal you're going against all of these ideas people have and it makes them really uncomfortable so they have to project a lot of that discomfort onto you and something that we've spoken about you and I have spoken about is the weird way that like Jewish women who choose to be Shomer Nagia who choose to like cover their bodies are sexualized and are like seen as kind of like how has that how has that experience been for you? I've gotten some weird messages, like especially mm-hmm. from like religious men, which is so odd. Mm-hmm. That's like almost like 
oh, I find it so hot when girls have knees, like skirts that cover their knees. Like it's so incredibly hot to me when I like think about that I only I get to see that. And in reality, when you're saying only I get to see that, you're saying I am demanding this of you and I'm demanding that you don't get to dictate the body, the rules of the body you occupy. Like when you sexualize any woman, literally any woman on earth, um, without her consent, and you look at women as these like objects that exist for your pleasure, Um, especially these women who have said, absolutely not. I don't consent to you seeing my body. I don't consent to you touching my body. To sexualize that practice means that you want to rob this woman of any sort of power to dictate what she wants. And I find it so, it's so, it makes me like want to crawl out of my skin. Yeah, because kind of the entire point of being a Shemarnagia woman is that you get to make that decision to dictate like your body. And for someone to violate that in a way just feels like this grab for power that is being really robbed of men to kind of dictate when they want um, to, because you're not doing it for for the male gaze. You're not doing it for male pleasure. Um, And that really threatens a lot of men who are really used to the world revolving around that that need. Um, And I think that I've seen it a lot on the internet and I'm not uh, uh, from women. And I think that I've heard from, from you the way that this can really take a toll. And then on the other side of this conversation, do you get a lot of backlash from non-religious women, from non, um, like women who aren't Shemarnagia, women who consider themselves to be feminists, but don't consider the religious implications of that? Um, Not understanding your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's also, we have kind of narrowed this idea, at least in, if we're looking at 2021, the idea that in order for women to be liberated, they have to be seeking power. Um, and I actually, Rivka Pesha, who is one of my favorite teachers who taught me all about mm-hmm. Shomarikia, um, was te- ta- giving us a lecture in which she was, lecture, she was having a conversation with us. She was speaking yeah. to us. Um, <laughs> in which she was talking to us, she was like, why is it only seen as respectable for women to be liberated when they are trying to outdo men? Um, And it's almost this like Bechdel test of like women have to do X amount to be seen as strong women. And in reality, like a woman who is a Rebbitzin and has 12 kids at home that she takes care of by herself is probably stronger than half of the U.S. government. (laughs) 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 And this idea that like femininity in itself is not liberating, but the pursuit of outdoing men is. Um, kind of is what has taken over this discourse. And in reality, like femininity in whatever way you choose to pursue it is incredibly liberating. It reminds me a lot of the conversation around, and this is a funny term, girl boss feminism, which a lot of people critique girl boss feminism as an antiquated kind of feminism, as a way that women are trying to like push down other women to get to the top. And like I took a feminist literature class past quarter and a big critique that they had in this like kind of new fourth wave of feminism is exactly what you're saying. Women kind of falling into the same kind of power struggle that men have historically used against women, yeah. um, against other women. And it seems like in a 
an unexpected way, being religious is this super progressive form of feminism. There was actually an article in, I don't remember where it was, but it was like the real counterculture of Williamsburg is Hasidic Jews. And I was like, I've never thought about it that way. But like, there is this kind of really incredibly cool and beautiful thing about like embracing 3000 years of tradition in the face of just like this progressive wave. It's so, I think it's so incredible. It's so beautiful. Sophie, you are currently training to become an elementary school teacher. And um, when I think in my head of who in this planet would be the best and most perfect elementary school teacher in the world, I think Sophie Friedman, because you just are everything I would want in an elementary school teacher as a child. Um, So I think you'll really like this question. Um, How we like to end all of our podcasts here on Nice Jewish Girls is with the same question. Um, I really want this podcast to be a chance for young women in particular, for everyone, but particularly young women listening to have access to mentors who they probably wouldn't be able to speak to in person if it weren't for this platform. Um, To just know what it's like to navigate the world as a Jewish woman, because we're in this constantly changing world with this super ancient tradition and it's intention, but also in concert. And there's a lot to learn from older people. Um, And so I want to end every episode with the same question, which is what's the one piece of advice that you'd want to give to young people listening to this, specifically young women, about navigating the world as a Jewish woman? Whichever way you choose to live your life and you find beauty in, I think pursuing it and disregarding how anyone feels about it is the most incredibly beautiful thing I think you can do. I have two young women, two young religious women who I used to babysit for, who are two of the most like badass little feminist Lubavitch girls I have ever met in my whole life. And like, I, if I could see them grow up to be nothing but the strong-willed, incredibly beautiful souls that they have, like, I would be the happiest person in the world. Anything you choose for yourself, like, I want you to feel that that is what will bring you joy regardless of how other people see that. Sophie Frieden, thank you so much for coming today. But it's been so wonderful. Your story, as always, is so inspiring. And I hope that everyone listening to this today can draw strength from it. And it's just been an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much, you beautiful soul. I love you so much and I miss you so much. Sophie is somebody whose life experiences have taught her how to show support unconditionally, how to be strong unconditionally. In the year that I've gotten to know Sophie, so much of my life has changed. And Sophie has been there to hold my hand through all of it, as more than a friend, as a sister. She's changed the way I view my Judaism, not as an obligation, but as this wonderful, incredible privilege. She's changed the way that I view feminism, not as a path towards some predetermined definition of progress, but as the freedom to choose what progress looks like for you. Sophie Frieden is so much more than a nice Jewish girl. She's an advocate. She embodies the representation she hopes to see for herself. She stands tall as this supposed contradiction, as a feminist in a community that is so often misunderstood by feminism. And she does this really publicly, 
even though she knows it will come with such tremendous backlash, because she wants other women like herself to feel represented. As I've talked about before in this podcast, I wasn't raised in a very religious community. I was raised very deeply culturally Jewish, but I didn't know that much about the religious world. I didn't understand practices like Shomer Nagia. I was never exposed to it growing up. Being friends with Sophie taught me that these customs are not meant to be barriers toward equality, but determinants of choice. That religious people are religious because of what their religion gives them, not because of what it takes away. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com and join us next week when we'll be speaking with Carly Friedman, an entrepreneur who has dedicated her life not just to mitzvot, but to one mitzvah. I bet you're wondering what that means or what that mitzvah is, but I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger here. You're going to have to tune in next week to find out. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked-related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. I want to take a moment to shout out a weekly podcast you might love called This Week Unpacked. In 15-minute episodes, my colleagues Avi and Sarah explore a relevant and important topic in Jewish and Israel news. Check it out and let me know what you think. And follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.